Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Comp Day Podcast. This is your host, Dre. I am back with one of my favorite guests, Jennifer Brown. Um, So just in case um, you did not listen to part one and you skipped to part two, Jennifer is a leading diversity and inclusion expert. She is a dynamic keynote speaker, best-selling author of... um, Two two wonderful books. One that is already out, <laughs> Inclusion, Diversity, The New Workplace, and The Will to Change. And then one coming out on August 20th, coming in a few days. Number two. <laughs> How to Be an Inclusive Leader, Your Role in Creating Cultures of Belonging Where Everyone Can Thrive. So please get the, get the first one so you can get, well. Right. They're kind of, they match. They're like a nice little pair. <laughs> <laughs> They're so good. I mean, the first one put me on. Uh, I'm, 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 I drank the Kool Aid. I'm a believer. Yay. Like I'm all, I'm into it. Um, but Jennifer Brown um, also has an amazing podcast, "The Will to Change," where you can learn more about how to implement diversity and inclusion into your workplace, into your career, and just into your personal life. Hmm. all together and you are the ceo of jennifer brown consulting jbc so basically she's like the olivia pope of oh dei and i love that <laughs> steal that and essentially um jennifer has helped advise and support s- multiple fortune 500 companies such as starbucks and walmart and t-mobile move into a better direction and into a more clear direction into this space so I'm going to let Jennifer um, kind of share, reintroduce herself, um, and we can jump more into how Jennifer and I know each other. <laughs> okay, Dre. So thanks for having me on. I always love talking to you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's really meaningful to feel that my work is being absorbed by somebody like you and that it's actually had an impact on you know what you want to do with your life and how inspired you feel every day. Um, yes, I have been in business for... Over a decade, my own company, we do consult to big, mainly big companies, although some smaller companies are getting into the game, which is really exciting. And um, I keynote speak. I write books, as you said, podcast, Will to Change, have a team of like 25 people, believe it or not, all over the country. Um, everybody has various roles um, in serving those corporate clients or in supporting the marketing of the firm and me. I have an amazing team that deals with you know, a pretty punishing keynote schedule (laughs) that involves a lot of travel. Um, But yeah, we, we're rocking and rolling and we're, boy, it's right place, right time. But I've been kind of waiting for this moment for many years. I've been kind of pushing, pushing, pushing. And I feel like the last couple of years we've been pulled, pulled to the table uh, and that my message is really resonating and needed. And so it feels um, this moment is really an interesting one, a great one for the DEI conversation. I mean, the best one I've ever experienced. Well, I can definitely say that your work has definitely inspired me. So a bit about how I know Jennifer. Um, I'm not going to name the companies I've worked with. Um, I'm from the nonprofit space, um, nonprofit fundraising. I've worked, I've interned for an LGBT org that supported getting equal marriage. So I was there right before it happened and got to see just the trickle down effect. It was just beautiful to witness that as a young person in my first real career. Lucky you. I was very fortunate to work with those attorneys and see the way that they're fighting for the circuits around the country. And then when it happened, it was just, I had already worked now for another LGBT organization a community center. I moved into um, international refugee work. And um, currently 
I am at a um, black advocacy or online organization. So essentially, I have always, and even in college, I was really deep into multicultural um, programs and learning about different cultures and as well as just really, really living for it. I just wanted to know more. And I didn't realize that this progression in which I was in these organizations and I was seeing like, okay, there's diversity here and, you know, there's a lack of code switching in certain senses. But then realizing like when we do discuss like diversity, inclusion, equity, that it didn't always go well in these spaces. (laughs) And people would be surprised that all queer, all LGBT or all black or all Latino spaces um, were not necessarily receiving it. And people think, oh, like you you get it. It's like, no, we don't code switch in the same way. So it's a little easier to do certain things, but it's still hard because the, um, the uncomfortability with DEI is just as salient with people of color and people who are not able-bodied and people who are LGBTQIA and people who are mentally ill and any identity that is marginalized or, and or not, um, seen as the traditional identity we all go through it. We mm-hmm. all are filtered the same messages. We just um, f- we just take it in differently because we have to apply it differently. So it's like deprogramming. So essentially, I went into these spaces and I was like, I'm fundraising. And I'm like, something's not right. And I was in a panel um, to um, for AFP and we were trying to help fundraisers learn how to be more diverse and to bring on more diverse talent and to support that in their organizations because as a, a profession, we have a lot of power in the nonprofit space. So we actually brought on um, a peer of yours, um, Tanya Odom. And Tanya so has mentioned that you're the best marketer in the <laughs> industry. She told me that very firsthand. She was like, Jennifer, the best marketer we have. Very best. Aww. She's like, she owns that. Um, so True. Tanya, um, we brought on Tanya and a couple other folks in the DEI space because it was like fundraisers. We don't know nothing about that. Like, we're not going to mm-hmm. talk to people about something we're not informed about. So we brought some folks in to speak to us. And I was just... It's crazy how like working on a committee like that was very tough to get things done because I didn't understand everything. People didn't understand anything. We were all making mistakes. And then these these four beautiful human beings just started speaking. And I was like, whoa, whoa, I'm, I'm, I'm inspired of it. And then I started researching more. A friend of mine um, actually gave you gave me your book. Mm. for um a secret santa (laughs) and katie thank you katie and katie gave me the book and she's like i know you're interested and um and then i had a very very difficult period through the holiday season um and i just started reading your book and reading and reading and reading and before i read your book i also was looking up um like certificate programs and i saw there was a grad school and i was like i always wanted to get an mpa but then i called this grad school and asked like okay i see this is a thing you have and they were on the phone with me and very kind and told me a bit and I was like cool so we were in touch and then I read your book and before I was like I'm gonna go to school in 2020 and then after reading your book I was like no I'm going to school (laughs) in 2019 yeah um it was supposed to be the fall and then I um received an email (laughs) that they liked me and for they want me to apply for um spring of 2019 and guess what i got it (laughs) jennifer inspired me to um i am a candidate and literally next week i will be um starting my journey into um tufts university's diversity and inclusion leadership uh, master's program Mm. it's the only interdisciplinary uh, master's program in the country right now it's a pilot 
well, not pilot anymore, but kind of pilot program. Most other programs are within HR programs or um, higher education programs. So I was looking for something more interdisciplinary because I wanted to move into the business case model and possibly more marketing space of um, DEI. But I was like, I need some education into this. And I um, they were featured on CNN Money. And so I'm really excited to be starting into this journey. And I really got to say, Jennifer, um, what happened was I read Jennifer's book and I was like, I'm definitely inspired. And then I was, um, I told everybody about you, everybody. I was like, look at Jennifer, this video, this amazing woman. Oh my God. And then I found out you were also queer. I was like, oh my God, she loves you. Oh my God. And I like lost my mind. And I talked about you to everyone and tried to basically pawn off your book to everyone I knew. <laughs> Thank you. And then essentially... I um, was managing the social media account for Comp Day, and I remember I did this post on because I want to say thank you, San Jose, for really supporting me. Um, and I put out this post on just sharing love to, like, thank you, San Jose, for really supporting me. I've never been there. I really, really appreciate you all. And then you liked the post. Uh -huh. And then you started liking things and you messaged me. <gasps> I and mind saw you, you. I started liking. And I, already, I was already following you. And I was like, I was like. She knows who I am, but also my identity wasn't um, public. So I was like, she knows, what, she knows me, but that doesn't know me. I found you. I sniffed you out. It's <laughs> a research. So Jennifer, <laughs> the mystery man. <laughs> Jennifer really touched my soul, and I was so surprised and humbled, and just I completely lost my mind. And I'm really happy to be on this journey. And what also to let folks know, yes, the podcast is going on hiatus because I do need to really focus. Um, I'm not over. I just don't know when I'm scheduled to be back, but I'm going to come back. You will be awesome when Thank you come you. back. Even smarter. <laughs> so much to say. Yeah, that education, that program is going to be incredible. I cannot wait to get my hands on your curriculum. <laughs> I'm obsessed. I'm like, I want to see what you're studying and what they're having you read. Am I going to be on the reading list? You should be. Right? <laughs> you I, should I be. Hope, I hope so. I mean, I'm a believer. I'm sharing your book with everybody Thank I know. Thank you. Thank you. I would love to come and speak. I do some a lot of stuff like that for free because I just love dealing with students and understanding like what's this next generation of practitioner going to look like? What do they need and what are they studying and how can we grow the field? Because the field needs to mature. You know, it needs to become, I think, more professionalized perhaps um, and less kind of like oh, I, I happened into it and now I discovered my passion and my reason for being, you know, it would be really nice if it could be like a discipline that that is built uh, like building blocks over time. So um, it's very exciting to hear that they have this program. Awesome. And, and definitely the deeper I go into the space and meet um, mentors like you and Tanya, I'm learning that, um, which I really love about this piece of work in the community is that it's not a winsome loss game. Like most other industries, it's very much, um, like Melody Hobson says, uh, everyone can have a piece of the pie. Mm. And that really touched my soul because that's exactly what I want to do for everyone in my life. And you really treated me in that way. You were really, I mean, if you can talk a bit about kind of like that process of finding someone who was um, inspired by you and wanted to get into the work. And I don't know how you even knew where I was. I well, I think I wanted us to do... A podcast conference, I think. Yes, the podcast movement. Podcast movement. And we didn't get accepted, which I is know. so – they need more diverse podcasters. And I, we literally hand-delivered this wonderful group of podcasters oh like yourself and me and 
a couple of friends and um, they were ama- like we had giants. I mean, I was surprised I was even on, on the on the on the group. I was like, you want me? Or these? Like, oh my god! <laughs> yeah, we just we need our voices in these spaces where they complain about having no diverse voices, and then they say no to a great you know proposed panel. So and then I, the three of you alone should have happened, and I was like, I'm hmm. cool to be on the on the uh, ballot. <laughs> it would have been fun. Well, it's okay. They're 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 lost. <laughs> but I think that was it. That. You know, I started listening to you. I think, too, I'll say that um, I really prioritize listening to certain podcasts to, that, are, that are not often referencing my cultural identity. So I listened to something called Still Processing, which I just love, um, <laughs> where I, as a white listener, probably the podcast is not intended for me, but it's such an important part of my education. And I listen to a lot of other sort of intentionally listen to other podcasts by different voices with different identities so that I can kind of consider that lens. And it's my job to know what's on the hearts of minds of people in many different communities because that's literally what DEI practitioners do is you have your own identity lens and you usually have a pretty deep understanding of that, although one person doesn't know everything about one's community. But you tend to know a lot about that and then a little bit about others. But when you get into this work as somebody who's leading an org, you've got to like get out of your own identity and you've got to like represent the conversations that are happening in all identities. Mm -hmm. And so it's like this totally – I have found it not overwhelming. I think it's fascinating. But you just have to – you that's part of your job. I mean that you have to know a little bit about many communities and be able to – Make sure that voice or those stories or that data is represented in every room that you're in because now you're you're responsible for the bigger holistic conversation. And of course, you can bring your own personal stories about your own identity and that's a powerful part of yourself as a change agent. But um, but I, I really – I'm very intentional about what I listen to, what I watch, the movies, shows um, – you know, the identity of the directors and writers, you know, and actors. Like I'm very conscious of that because um, otherwise you can slip into sort of a steady diet of your own culture. Mm. I think it's just very easy to, you know, hang out with the same people that look like you, socialize with them. You know, your life can work, maybe work with them. Your life can end up being very like reflective just of you. Um, and this job, you you have to literally fight against that, like every single choice you make. And so – um, it's been – I think it's enriched my life, myself as a human. Um, I, I've been so humbled and I really learned where my privilege sits in doing all of this. Like, you know, white privilege, um, you know, being a cisgender woman, being an advocate for trans and gender non-binary or non-conforming friends, um, for people with, in, with diverse abilities – I've taught veterans, we, you know, and, and, and had to facilitate groups of veterans in corporate America, not being a vet, um, just putting yourself in not, you can never put yourself in shoes, but you can, you can make time to learn about communities and make sure that you're taking that and educating everybody else about the experience of that community. And that's always like my guiding light. And so when I say I'm an ally, even though I'm in the LGBTQ community, I'm also an ally. That's what I mean, that it's incredibly important for me, even more, maybe more important than expressing my LGBT identity is to bring voices into the room that aren't in there and do that in a credible way, in a respectful way, in a humble way, in a way that admits like I have so much more to learn, but here's kind of some of the things I know 
And there's so many people that don't know anything and aren't doing any of this work, as you know. So we're we're sort of the bridge. We're standing there like the bridge builders between, you know, our experiences and the rest of the world and trying to educate them, which slow going. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you definitely put me on and um, going into this new journey. Um, it's it's both. I know I'm in the right direction because when you fear, when you're a little scared. Yeah, it's always good. That's good. <laughs> and I know that there's, um, I could have also went different routes. So I tried to think about, do I want to do a certificate program, um, which I've seen more um, available? Um, do I want to like possibly just move into the industry without like any form of education or do I go to conferences? There was just many different avenues that I was looking at, or do I also go to um, grad school for an HR or higher education, even though that's not necessarily what I'm looking to do. So can you discuss like the different options that folks have going into um, diversity, um, inclusion, equity? Yeah, sure. Um, So it is essentially an HR discipline, if you will. I mean, if you're going to sort of locate yourself or talent management, but talent is usually within HR or it's a partnership of that. Um, You could certainly be a lawyer and come from a legal background. You can be um, a salesperson or operations person or a nonprofit activist and go into it. Um, So really, you can come from anywhere. But I think, you know, if you like education, I really recommend – that was how I sort of jump-started my career change after I stopped being an opera singer. I went back to school because I thought I've got to get some credibility. i got to learn some new stuff. I've got to locate myself in a new field. Um, I also always made sure I went to conferences that were on the topic of DEI, whether it was something called Out and Equal, which is an LGBT conference, 7,000 people go to every year. I have been going to that for 15 years and presenting. So that's mm-hmm. the other thing I'd really recommend is always volunteer, always get to know the staff, always um, suggest to moderate and maybe even suggest a panel, you know, bring young leaders along with you and suggest a sort of innovative topic, you know, that you think that will be additive to the conversation. Um, Maybe you'll get a break on your registration fee, you know, if you get chosen to speak. Um, But even if you don't, I really recommend like digging deep financially, economically into your pocket because um, you'll learn so much about the field by locating yourself around people that do this for a living, whether those people are corporate people or um, external consultants that are researchers, you know, you kind of Get the lay of the land. So go to conferences, network your butt off, get a lot of business cards, <laughs> ask people for coffee, um, ask for informational phone calls. I know I have done a gazillion of those you know, over many, many years because I always want to encourage that next generation if I can help at all, point them towards certificates. There's a bunch of certificates too, like Cornell has a really good one. Uh, the I think it's called the DNI certificate. It's it's kind of elaborate. It's a more than a year long. It's lots of classes. It's rather expensive. That's like sort of the a very um, a big investment. And Georgetown also has a DNI. Oh yeah, I saw certificate. that too. Yeah, and those are sort of the more expensive ones. My company has one. Yes, uh, yes it does because I I wanted to get into this <laughs> get into this game because I I wanted. I think we do things differently in my company. You know, we don't teach things from an academic perspective. We're, we're consultants. And so our teaching by my consultants and my team is very concrete. It's literally like, okay, you have the job now. <laughs> oh, my gosh. What am I going to do? Right? I have the dream job, and it's like my biggest nightmare at the same time because like, <laughs> I've never done this. Like they're giving me the keys to the kingdom. What does success look like? How do I build a strategy? You know, it's 
a lot of people are getting put in these jobs um, because they raise their hand, because they have passion, because they have proven success in something else. And all of a sudden, there's like no roadmap. And so um, that's why education and conferences are so important for new practitioners. You may get this job. I mean, you you might think that's like a distant possibility. <laughs> but I'm here to tell you, with every month that goes by, more and more companies are kind of waking up and saying, we need a DNI team. Let's hire someone. Um, you may find yourself in a role like that as, because you raised your hand. And the question then becomes – how don't wait until that moment to kind of understand like what do I do if I get that role like how do I what do I build where do I start how do I line up support how do I get budget what's a reasonable amount of time for you know certain certain metrics what are the metrics that I would be measured by I mean there's really that's where the field gets a bit squishy because there really isn't one way to do this work there's a lot it really depends on the company you enter in consulting, we say you meet the client where they're at. Oh. And so, yeah. And so it's not about, well, this is the way you do it. And you start here and you do this. And this takes three months and this takes six months. Like there's no such thing. You've got to breathe with the company. You have to, as a consultant, you have to kind of move with them as slowly or as quickly as they can and as they're willing to move and as much as they're they're funded to move as well. And so – um We've learned to be – we slow it way down if we need to. We go way like 101 in some cases. We go 301 in others. You know, if they already are like, yes, tell us more, give us more, we want to go faster. You know, that's – everyone's going to have kind of a different ask. And practitioners, if you're lucky, you'll work in a lot of different companies over the course of your career and you'll see lots of different cases of companies being in different places. You'll you'll work for different leaders. You'll – be funded, you know, a lot in one and none in another. <laughs> you know, you'll have a team of something and then you'll have no team. And and it doesn't build in one direction. Like you could have a bigger team and then have a and then change jobs and have no team and your whole job is going to be to build the team, right? So so I think the flexibility and the adaptability of this field is is um that's key competency. And then schooling, conferences so you can get the lay of the land, know other people that are practitioners, like network with them, keep them close. Um, people know, people find each other jobs all the time. I am constantly aware of all the openings because we all are. We all know who's moving where and, you know, what companies are hiring or building up their teams, et cetera. So um, we know where those opportunities are. So stay close. And you'll meet, by the way, if you go back to a, any kind of schooling, you'll meet that's your network is all the other students and they are all having jobs or looking for jobs or they're going to end up somewhere where they can hire you, right? Or you hire them. And so, you know, every move you make, like in any career, you're always meeting people that will be helpful to you and that you can be helpful to. You need to kind of keep them close. Uh, but this world in particular is kind of a small world. So, you know, you're entering a really cool community of people. So what what have you seen for folks who um, have joined this community, but they don't necessarily they didn't get a certificate, and they maybe were not working with an affinity group, or they are not going to school like I am for it? Like, what are some of the things you've seen folks kind of stumble into, or mm-hmm. um, the kind of the things that they didn't like and the things they did like about it, the mm-hmm. strengths they gained mm-hmm. and the weaknesses mm-hmm. that were um, highlighted, and kind of how to what what advice you would give to someone who like says like okay i hit into a wall and i don't know what to do now (laughs) (laughs) yes we've all been there um so i often counsel mentees 
to, they say, how do I even get started? Um, I, I like to say, uh, if you're in an organization, but you don't have the job, you should be signing up to volunteer lead, like everything you possibly can be a part of things, suggest starting, you know, uh, whether it's, um, let's start a council, the inclusion council when nothing exists in your employer. Um, or if you have no affinity groups, maybe you begin the first one. You know, and you can read my first book has a whole chapter on ERGs. Yes. Um, but a lot of us get our start through sort of working on, as you say, the side of the desk and doing this all. And then over time, you can kind of shift the balance to be your job, job, right? But that takes some time. And you got to prove yourself, get your legs under you, understand how it works. Um, and, you know, like earn. I guess earn that reputation as somebody that makes things happen, that's not only passionate but can really make things happen, like a very good like execution focus is prized in the workplace. Um, and if you're in a nonprofit, you can do the same thing. I mean, nonprofits really struggle, as you were saying, yes. with diversity. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, just because – it's funny. Just because we have a great mission, right, that's very humanistic or, you know, we're, we are literally serving, uh, you know, marginalized communities – does not mean that we all do inclusion well no. when it comes to hiring, when it comes to um, the workplace environment, et cetera. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be done there. I know a lot of boy people come to me all the time and say they have this great mission, but they can't they can't find any like women or people of color for their like leadership boards or advisory boards, or they're they're struggling with recruiting staff from certain communities, like the museum world, the art world. Like, oh yeah, so they, they have a very hard time. They really are trying, but they it's are very trying. Difficult. Bless their heart, they are. And you know, so just because it's a nonprofit world, I mean, I, the environmental uh, environmental organizations are very white. Like, they're really struggling. Whether it's an RDC or Sierra Club or so anyway, you just go on and on. The charitable world, I did actually a podcast on this, um, the charitable and the ph- philanthropy world um, really, really is very white. Yes. Um, it's like yeah. people are shocked sometimes when I they know. see me in spaces. They're, yeah, like, just- they're like, oh, are you? I'm like, yes. And they're like, that's your position? You're not new? I'm like, no, I'm not new. I've been where I've, yeah, that's my title. And they're like, do you know? I'm like, I know that person. I know that person. And yes, I know how to help you. Oh, and they're just goodness. confused. and. Wow. It's it's very, very um it's very Caucasian. There are a lot of women in the space, but I sure. don't see a lot of women as leaders. No, not in leadership. They have a very hard time moving into leadership and it's like a it's populated by a very small minority of men. Yes. And this is even in LGBT nonprofits. Yes. This is also in um racial racial nonprofits. Any yeah, and I, I tell people all the time, nonprofit is it's a beautiful space. They do amazing work. It's yes. great to know that the goal is helping others. But I tell people all the time, it is just the toxicity that is also in the private sector. It lives in government and lives in nonprofit. It doesn't. It's a system. We're all right. connected. It doesn't right. change because you go to one industry or another. It's so true. And in many ways, it gets kind of swept under the rug because because of the mission. Mm-hmm. It's sort of this assumption. Oh, we get that, so we don't really need to pay attention to it. You know, it's like, oh, well, we're obviously we're a progressive organization, so we don't have a problem with that. I think that's like the fallacy. It's it's so hard. <laughs> I know, I know. Like I'm I'm well meaning. Like look what I do for a living. Like how could I be bad at diversity or how could we have challenges when like we serve this community, right? But organizations are organizations. It doesn't matter and you're right, it is systemic. It's so much bigger than us. So any organization of any size, like I've almost never met one or encountered one that doesn't have struggles. Like it doesn't matter what your mission is. For profit, nonprofit, doesn't matter. So 
you know, I think that we can get on our high horse about doing like good in the world and working for nonprofits. <laughs> but like I always say being well-intended and like being sort of generally a progressive person does not make you an inclusive leader. And like you referenced earlier, being in a marginalized community does not make you an inclusive leader. It doesn't. I mean, I can clearly share um, a blind spot I have. Um, I do have a few trans folks in my life, but I don't think it's something I intentionally, like it kind of fell into place. Like mm-hmm. a, a friend of mine, she trans- transitioned and I knew her before she transitioned. So, and then folks in, I worked in the LGBT space. So naturally you meet um, colleagues and you make um, networking with other organizations and it did happen, but I don't think I was as intentional. So even though I did search, I remember there was one episode I did want to bring a trans woman on an episode for um, for a women. And I didn't want there to be just a focus on like, I didn't want to do a tokenization. So I was very much like, no, I want a trans woman to be on this episode because I don't want to just highlight just because they're trans. I'm like, no, trans women are women. And we could discuss this topic. However, I know that it didn't necessarily work out the way I wanted it to because I have a blind spot. Mm. And the blind spot is that I didn't intentionally or put in enough energy to be have a, enough meaningful relationships with trans folks in my life or to meet mm. new trans folks in my life. Right. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, what you're speaking to is is the tokenization of that one, like, oh, I have a black friend, like, therefore, or, you know, I have a gay friend, therefore, like, I understand the issues. Or men saying, oh, my wife works or I have daughters. Like, we, we sort of roll our eyes with that. We hear that a lot. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's not not – not to judge people who have daughters and I mean, their learning could be really deep and their advocacy could be really deep. Um, but, but that's not that to me, that doesn't really mean much because you can have everyone's descended from a woman. Yes. Okay. (laughs) So, you know, we all have women in our lives. It doesn't mean you're doing enough. And like, I just think there's this passivity about like, Oh, I get it. Been there, done that can check a box like because of this thing. And I'm like, no, by my definition, you're not at all using your voice in the world. You're not, you said we need to be uncomfortable every day. That's how we know we're growing. You know, I would say, how are you standing up for gender equality as a man um, that's in a proactive way, that's in a public way, that's in a visible way? Um, supporting quietly kind of doesn't matter these days. Like you need – we need more activity that's real, that's concrete, that's visible, that's really going to move the needle, that's going to challenge not just the one-on-one but the system – you know, and we need po- folks that benefit from that system to really be the ones that challenge the system because they're inside the system. And I know part of me, my identity puts me inside yes. the system to a degree, not my femaleness, not my LGBTness, but my cultural identity um, and my ethnicity gives me kind of this weird permission and access. And so, you know, that's where I can get into those rooms, have the conversations, challenge people. I know, and maybe by some miracle, maybe they'll listen to me. Maybe they'll hear it. They'll really hear it. They'll really take it on board. They'll feel challenged by me in a way that they can still relate to me, which actually kind of helps. It helps people get over a hump, you know, when they're sort of in that resistance, deflection. We gravitate to what's familiar. Yeah. So if, yeah. And it's like, oh, if you remind me of myself or something right. close to me, and you're this saying helps that, me. then maybe I can say that. Right. So I'm sort of a like, hey, jump in. The water's warm. Like, you know, come in this way and like you'll you'll benefit. You'll be a better person. You'll be a better leader. You know, you'll be able to create a better feeling on your team, which results in more productivity. And, you know, I I can kind of position it in certain ways without triggering, I think, their bias. 
But it's interesting. I mean, coming, I'm not always like, hey, I'm LGBTQ. Like, listen to me. You know, I kind of am very careful about where I talk about that um, because I, I'm so, I'm so aware that like I hold people by a thread, you know, and we all, we all do that. Like I have them for 45 minutes, like I have their ear. And so how am I going to use that time to make sure they're, they don't opt out. They don't get defensive. Um, they don't feel judged or shamed, which I think is a big thing deserved or not. I think a lot of people feel that these days and I'm like, but why? <laughs> I think people see it as a competition. Like, right. oh, and it's like woke being woke is not a finish. There's no finish line to being woke. Oh, like, no. And people think it's a finished product. And then yeah. people are like, I'm more like enlightened than you. And it's like, no, you're more, you're just, <laughs> yes, you're more aware, but it doesn't mean that you're done. None, right? of are done. None of us are done. And we all start from a different place. We're not all in the same part of the track, like no matter who we are. Mm. But, um, I wanted to kind of, um, move into concluding, um, on our wonderful, beautiful time together. Saving but so. Talking about inclusion, like you said, you're mentioning um, telling somebody who's like like you or similar to you, you're like, I want you, let's include you. This is mm-hmm. what inclusion looks like. So moving into, can you share a bit about what folks should get ready for in the next couple of days when how to be an inclusive leader, your role in creating cultures of belonging where everyone can thrive when it comes out. Oh my gosh, it's coming out. Whether we like it or not, it's always a scary moment for authors. You're like, are people going to like it? (laughs) I hope. Uh, I really, so it's constructed around a four-stage model um, from unaware Mm -hmm. to aware to active and then to advocate. So, um, and there's an assessment that goes along with it. So you can actually take uh, an assessment that is on inclusiveleaderthebook.com. And uh, you can figure out from the assessment, you can get a sense of where you are in the continuum. And you can kind of focus in on that. Although I really recommend reading the whole book. It's not long. Um, and also you should read the whole book anyway, because you could be somewhere, but a colleague could be in another spot. And even those of, those of us who are sort of more level three, level four, like active and advocate, we constantly have to be reaching back and figuring out, how do I pull more folks out of unawareness? Mm-hmm. You can also, for unaware, a synonym might be apathetic. Um, it might be defensive. It might be clueless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> asleep. We thought about calling it asleep that's and awake. A nice, that's not a bad word. Because it's like, I think I think apathy, apathetic is a bit, a bit judgy, um, and we didn't want to call it that. But I did call it that for a little while as I was working with the model. But then we decided... Really, it's just unawareness. I think the majority of people don't know there's a problem. They don't. They don't. They think they're good people. They think their organization is is a great place to work for everyone. You know, they they there's the same folks that say like, oh, I don't see color. Like I'm, I really believe in equality, and I have daughters. Like, it's great. But that was the way we used to talk about it. And I think what we've all awoken to. Is that that as MLK Jr. said, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. I think what we've woken up to is that we have to bend the arc. Like we have to bend the arc. And it can't just be a few of us bending the arc. Like we need everyone to do something to contribute to inclusive workplaces and people's sense of belonging. And so the book is is meant to you can locate yourself in this four-stage journey. And uh, then you can kind of work the steps, you know. So if you're unaware, if I stopped you on the street and I said, um, 
you know, uh, what do you, what percentage do you think of the Fortune 500 CEOs are women? I don't know. Women and men, they'd probably say, oh, I don't know, maybe half, maybe a third. I wish. There's like four. There's one out gay CEO in the Fortune 500. Like, and then you can just keep going. You can say, do you think women believe they have the same career opportunities as men in the workplace? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I have tons of women in my organization, you know. So literally, it's sort of like, guess what? You know, the, the evidence is different than what you think. And we have this tendency to think we're, we're like great people and we're better than we are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we do. And uh, so we, so that is sort of, it's sort of cali- recalibrating for people with that. And then um, once they're aware of the problem, then what more do they need to learn then? Now that I'm like, oh, okay, now I get it. Now I need to learn more about my bias. Now I le- need to investigate this more. Maybe I need to change my language. Maybe I need to learn what QIA means <laughs> and actually be able to say it. Um, maybe I need to understand more about the black experience in America as a white person. Like, yes. You know, and I think that many people don't. Uh, maybe I need to understand um, how people with disabilities um, hide in the workplace, don't want to disclose their abilities to their company and therefore don't have accommodations. And, you know, when you start to unravel this, you're like, wow, there's so much I didn't know. And then with awareness, then you move to active and you're like, okay, what are you going to do with the knowledge? And that's like the do or die. Like, And that's where there's all sorts of interesting challenges when you start to use your voice, be more public have to apologize because you make mistakes, yes. <laughs> like all that. And then when you're an advocate level four, you're like, you don't care. I mean, you're literally the bold voice, the fearless voice. You know, I think we're kind of people like that where we're, we're like, yes, I'm learning. And yes, I want to learn more. <laughs> and yes, I'm going to call this out or call this in. Um, so that's kind of that level four mentality. So we want to, we want to get people wherever you are, the, 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 the message of the book is it's okay where you are. I think for me, what's not okay is not moving, not like getting on the train mm-hmm. and then not like moving forward even in a really, could be really small way, could be really private way, whatever you'd like. So so that's the book, How to Be an Inclusive Leader. Please pick it up. Take so the assessment. Find can, out where you are. Where can we find it? Um, it's going to be on Amazon. <laughs> yes, of course. And, uh, and there's also an audio book I took – 15 hours to record that <laughs> okay i'm listening to that oh my god i love your voice so oh, i'm thank listening you, to that thank you i used to do voiceovers that so was really fun Ooh. to be like back in the studio reading um yeah so i read i read the whole book so please listen to that yeah and then um follow us on social media and um there's also free chapter one that's like available for download so i know you'll put the, all this yes. in the show notes and, and we're gonna have on our receipts we're gonna have all the sources to um conferences and certificate programs and just resources um to support you and also everything about jennifer because she is Please. the goat she's amazing oh my god so jennifer Yay. will be um will definitely be sharing jennifer can be found on instagram linkedin mm-hmm. google <laughs> yes i am everywhere i do enjoy marketing <laughs> i hope i hope it's not too much <laughs> no i love it but it's important but um i wanted to say just thank you so much um jennifer for really joining me on this um hiatus journey and i want to tell everyone who's been listening all up to these 28 episodes Thank you so much for allowing me into your um, homes, your cell phones, um, your your computers at work. Um, thank you. No, I, I appreciate it a lot. And I'm glad that there's a community of people who do care about this. And I will come back and I hope to expand more on this. And if you 
I'm not gone. So if you want to <laughs> still reach out to me and learn more, just um, contact me. I'm on Instagram, Comp Day Podcast. It's just um, C-O-M-P-D-A-Y-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Um, it's on Instagram. You can message me. Um, and also, if you have questions for Jennifer, you can message me through the filter sure. to Jennifer. Sure. Um, and I'll share Jennifer's contact info as well. But, um, you know, just message me. I'm... I'm a normal person. I'm a normal 24-7 person. Please just contact me. Not I love community. Normal. You're not normal. <laughs> but Dre, I want to thank you for putting so much good content out into the world with the podcast. Like, it's not, not everybody that does that. And there's such good conversations and they're so needed. Like, the people you pull together for these. So I've learned a lot from you and I really, as a practitioner, I really appreciate what you've given me. And I look forward to having you in the world with like a newly minted degree and seeing like what are you going to want you know where are you going to where are you going to apply your craft and uh, for change in the world so I think any company or organization would be lucky to have you now and then thank you so much well it's been a pleasure everyone we're going to clock out